This is Work in Progress, an art gallery of Greater Victoria podcast series. My name is Reagan Shum, and I'm the curator of Listener in Residence. Work in Progress is a new podcast series that offers some insight from behind the scenes of the curatorial and educational projects and collaborations that could be seen more as open-ended or progress-based. These projects highlight some of the experimental and exploratory work that is taking shape both inside and outside of the Art Gallery of Greater Victoria's physical gallery spaces. The series is recorded and produced on the traditional and unceded lands of the Lekwungen speaking peoples and is generously supported by a Canada Council for the Arts Digital Now grant. In this episode, we are joined by two participants, Juliet and Joyce, from the AGGV's Listener in Residence series. This program was an intergenerational mentorship and skill sharing program connecting LGBTQ2 youth with LGBTQ2 seniors throughout British Columbia. The program was created in order to help ease isolation and encourage intergenerational relationships. Juliet Joyce, thank you so much for joining me. Perhaps you would like to start us off by introducing yourselves. My name is Juliet. Um, I use she, they pronouns. I am 22 years old and I identify as a lesbian and also as non-binary. Um, I'm a white settler here on Lekwungen territory. I'm originally from Anishinaabe Dish with One Spoon Treaty territory, and I've been here for five years now. Um, I'm a student studying gender studies and environmental studies in my final term at UVic. I'm also a musician and a childcare provider, and I also like to get involved in some community organizing when I can. Um, I'm currently doing work with community food support. Um, and yeah, I'm curious and passionate about many things that I was excited to bring to this program, including uh, music, spirituality, community, intersectionality, food, food justice, um, and the many ways that I think all of those themes can connect with queer community and with each other in wonderful ways. My name is Joyce. I'm a 70-year-old cisgendered female, Caucasian. I go by she and her. I identify as a lesbian. And COVID gave me the gift of retirement, so I don't have any paid work these days. But I spent a long time as a facilitator, project manager, change consultant, mostly self-employed. And... Uh, right now, I'm doing volunteer work as uh, the content uh, developer in uh, an LGBTQ2SI plus generational allies project that is interviews with seniors uh, between 55 and 85 who um, to share about their experience really of harassment and discrimination and what kinds of experiences taught them resilience and how that helps as they age. Everything will be posted on the On My Planet website and available for download or free to view. 
Well, thank you both. Um, and you're both, of course, a part of uh, the Listener in Residence program at the Arcade of Greater Victoria. Uh, and you were paired together. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping you can discuss your experience of the program. Um, because of the project that I was doing, uh, I forget how I became aware of the Art Gallery project, but one of the things that had arisen in the research we were doing was this desire on the part of seniors to actually um, have more intergeneral relationships with queer youth. And that I realized that I myself felt exactly the same way. So I signed up for the program. Yeah, so um, when I was um, paired with Juliet, like, you know, it was kind of, I, I put out my motives right up top <laughs> that really my, my motivation for signing up for the program was really to make a new friend. Um, you know, the, the learning uh, and sharing that we did was kind of a, a byproduct. And um, one of the big benefits is that we live in the same area. So it was very easy for us to get together in person outdoors during the pandemics. Uh, and and that that really helped. So and the guidelines that the art gallery provided uh, about weekly contact and suggested some things and my background is in um, meditation and movement um, as my kind of um, non-work practice. <laughs> um, and so those were the kinds of things that uh, I, ha I had to offer, you know, because I'm, I, I like learning, I like doing new things. I, I don't mind taking risks. I don't really see myself as an artist. So that was really um you know, kind of, well, let's just see how it goes. And, um, and for me, Juliet is a very easy person to talk to. And, you know, we found some common ground fairly quickly. And um, I've certainly, I think more than anything else, just enjoyed getting to know her and, uh, and being willing and able to spend as much time together as we could carve out in mutually busy lives. So... I'll stop there. Yeah, I mean, I would echo a lot of the things that Joyce just said. Um, actually, the first thing that came to mind with this question was um, the relationship building versus like creative aspect of the project. And I definitely went in to listeners and residents thinking that I would be mostly learning new skills and that that would be the focus. And instead something, I think just realizing the ease with which Joyce and I were able to connect and form a quite close relationship quite quickly. Um, it became much more apparent to me that I was putting down roots um, in community in a new way rather than simply learning a new practical skill or creative skill mm -hmm. um and I think that that kind of reflected in the ways that the two of us chose to explore our creative skills um because we had lots of different interests and 
instead of focusing on one or two things we did I mean we painted we did uh contemplative movement we did some music we did baking we did some uh like walks around in nature together like just um kind of a breadth of of experiences that we could share together and I think that kind of for me uh, at least speaks to the yeah the ways in which it was really focused for us on on just becoming friends and and being and and being creative in a way that that lets us do that in a free way and and you kind of touched on the the trick I did for for the project in which um you know uh I know Joyce you said that you don't consider yourself an artist uh I'm I come from the thought that everyone is an artist uh and that like life itself is just a, a practice an artistic practice um but a lot of people feel uncomfortable with that thought of like them being an artist that putting that label on themselves so um you know the the actual art practice part of the project to me was like that relationship mm-hmm. the the friendships that grew um between each pair and the the skill sharing which was another aspect that people would uh share skills with each other's um and learn from each other that was kind of a way to bring people into the process where they felt a little bit more comfortable of like, Oh yeah, I know how to cook and I could share that. Um, but really it was, that was just a ploy to get people to connect. Um, and, uh, why do you think it, why is it important in your life to, uh, connect and create relationships? Um, particularly I think, an intergenerational um and how do you think that could also help the wider community it's big questions well i think uh, like in my life uh, um first of all i'm an introvert and so covid hasn't been that harsh for me and blah you could me joyce <laughs> <laughs> um And so I prefer, you know, to get to know fewer people more deeply. Mm. And, um, and while I have um, lots of friends in here, I've only lived here about 12 years. Uh, I don't have any family here. And so in, in some ways, uh, kind of widening the breadth of my relationships to include more generations uh, has helped widen my perspective, Mm -hmm. right? To be able to see the world from the view of someone who has completely different experience. Like, you know, we, one of the things that we talked about was about queer history and our coming out experiences and things like that. And so, you know, sitting from where I am, it's kind of like, Yahoo, it wasn't so hard. Right. Um, But also uh, the world has changed enormously in the time that uh, I've been on the planet and, 
it's very good for me to, I mean, I do try to expose myself to alternative views. Not that I agree with everything by a long shot, but um, just to be able to, like for me, learn about what Juliet's studying that didn't even exist as a field when I came through university, right? Like, you know, there are kind of occupations and professions that have just actually expanded the opportunities in ways that weren't even hardly conceived of, even in my own field. It was not really a field when I first started in it, right? It became a field over the years that I worked in it. Um, and so, so that's one thing, but um, I think the, the, the feeling of community, like for me, I, I operate in a number of communities, probably everyone does, but, you know, there's kind of the fact that we're kind of neighbors. So that's like a geographic community. So we share a neighborhood, um, you know, we share the gender uh, expression and, and at the same time, like I, you know, I spent lots of years in university, but it's a very long time ago. And, you know, my I'm a dabbler when it comes to learning. So I like to dabble in new things, but there's very few things that I actually pursue in in any depth at, at this point. And, you know, I introduced Juliet to, to those things. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the thing that is the most, dare I use the word delicious about developing a friendship is that, we, you know, that discovery process, that discovery of what connects us and what has taught us differently. And, you know, we're just now at the place where we're starting to talk about things that are more personal, more intimate to our lives. And um, like that, you know, having those kinds of relationships is what helps community as a whole, because the more we have that kind of inner congruence and that outer kind of sense of being seen and heard with each other, I think that benefits the community hugely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that the first thing that comes to mind about relationship building is just how important it is to build strong bonds um to me and I think to like the broader queer community um I think that as LGBTQ people um we are inherently craving connection and expansive and moving through the world and uh ways that kind of yeah create crave that intimacy and connection um and so connecting just on the basis of that is already I think connecting on a deeper level and I would also just say I think that politically I feel like I've gone through a shift recently in really like wondering about my impact on like my community and the world and like what that can look like. Like, I think that as young people, or at least as a young person, like I was taught 
to make individual choices that could have an impact on the world or like, you know, do something small that will have, that will change the whole world and that it'll all be wonderful when we change the world for the better. And, um, and I've, I've definitely unpacked that and changed my perspective on that, but I haven't changed my understanding and value that like what I do matters. But I think now that what I do matters for very different reasons than what I previously thought, if that makes sense. And so I think relationships is actually a huge part of that because, you know, I, I'm moving towards this idea that like, I can make decisions that are impactful and they are impactful because they make me feel alive and held in place and like I'm part of a special community. And so suddenly creating strong connections take a really forefront role in my life when it's framed like that. And like what, when what I do matters is, is framed in that way. And I think, you know, on the, on the most <laughs> basic level that building connections is what we're meant to do as people. It's, yeah, it's a, it's just a way <laughs> of surviving and being in the world and, and having community. I think that's important. And I think um, historically within the LGBTQ2 plus communities, there's been a, a disconnect between generations because, you know, one reason is uh, because the AIDS epidemic. Uh, another reason is often folks are kind of uh, like there's there's different generations who have different values or different thoughts of of what comprises of the queer community. And that is not necessarily always accepted. Uh, certain generations don't accept others who are within the queer community but really like often queer folks you know sometimes have disconnect from from blood relations uh, especially in the coming out process so that importance of of connecting with community is is like essentially your your chosen family and I wonder how do you both have any ideas of how to create those connections between uh, generations, be it uh, either queer or, or non-queer? Um, for me, uh, I think there has been a lot of learning over the last few years about what is our community. You know, um, you know, I spent several years as a lesbian separatist, so I can attest to the slicing of the rainbow. And, <laughs> And, you know, I, I think one of the other impacts um, that we don't necessarily think about is assimilation. And, and one of the other ones is that, you know, I think one aspect of that kind of generational divide is that people get very settled in their own little substrate of the community. And unless they have a reason to break out of it, then then it allows us to sort of sit in our lack of understanding. And, you know, and, and quite honestly, sometimes that leads to immediate judgment rather than sort of saying, well, I wonder what's going on here. You know, when I did the first trans project, uh, you know, I had to learn a lot. Um, it wasn't that, you know, I had any particular strong opinions about it, but I just didn't know. I didn't know 
you know, I had to learn the whole pronoun thing. I had to, you know, feel comfortable with it. And I still trip. Um, and, and also because of that project, which was a trans inclusion project for youth, you know, I met all kinds of people who are like wonderful. And I think the freedom of expression that was not part of my generation. Uh, you know, I, I have people I know in my life who have been institutionalized, jailed, eaten, all kinds of things, right? So the, the opening of the doors has in some ways, you know, diluted the pond. <laughs> but, um, but I think what happens is that we look for, we look for like, it's just a natural human thing. We look for like. And at the same time, I think for people of my generation, there is also this longing because one of the things that came up in our interviews is that like when we were fighting for human rights legislation, for women's rights, for reproductive rights, whatever we were activists around, there was this sense of community, right? You know, I mean, the lesbians were in there like a dirty shirt during the AIDS epidemic. I myself did buddying for more than one person with AIDS. And at the same time, you know, because of that kind of sexism in our, generally in our society, we were left out of a lot of queer history as if we were just a sidebar, right? You know, so, you know, and it is true, like, uh, you know, I, my affinity is for women. So my, uh, most of my relationships are with women. Doesn't mean I don't like men or I don't, you know, like people that are different than I am, for God's sake. Like, how boring is that? But I think that just like other issues, you know, in our society, we, you know, it's our individual responsibility to sort of challenge ourselves to step out of that box of thinking and engage with people and say, tell me, just tell me your story. Tell me about yourself. Tell me, I'm curious, why do you think that? Or what experience taught you that? Or, you know, just, you know, to be just more open. But within the queer community, particularly the older queer community, like, we're dying off for one thing. <laughs> and so, you know, it's kind of wanting to have a sense of legacy is one thing, but also wanting to kind of learn and continue to grow, right? And one way to do that is to get to know people who are different. Now, the, the rainbow is like a panoply. So you got a lot to choose from, mm -hmm. right? But I think to your question about how would we do that? Like, you know, we've been talking about that in, in my project as well, right? I think in one thing that I have learned from this project is that the way there is through conversation, perhaps facilitated conversation, you know, and, and people always have, it's an easier to get to know someone if you're doing something together. Yeah. So whether that's creative or productive or gardening or whatever it is, doesn't that the what it is doesn't matter as long as the interest is mutual. Yeah, I love that you said that um, last, Joyce, because that was my answer is um, when you sent me this question, the first thought that came to mind was to find a new hobby or broaden your interests or try something new, um, because I think that, I mean... I will speak more on how like different systems of oppression are poisoning the queer community and have poisoned the queer community. 
But um, I also just think that simply a lack of outreach in communities is really stunting our abilities to connect with each other. I think it depends place to place, but specifically, you know, living in Victoria for five years, I think that there are a lot of really wonderful, beautiful things about the LGBTQ plus community here. Um, But one of my biggest issues being in community here is how difficult it is to I don't know, break the <laughs> brick wall to get in and out and, and make those connections and move around. And, mm-hmm. and I think age definitely has something to do with that. Um, and I think ageism is mm-hmm. a oppressive structure that isn't really talked about a lot, but that is, I think, huge in all communities, including LGBTQ plus communities both on both levels and I think that for me as someone who's in kind of a young adult I have definitely seen around me and also internalized ageism both for older and younger members of my community and I just think that that is a huge problem and and needs to be changed and I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I am able to connect in my life with both younger people and um, now I have a wonderful friend, Joyce, that I can connect with, um, who's older than me. And it's really helped me realize that this myth that your friends have to be in the same place in life as you is just really BS. Like it's it's just not a real prerequisite for finding common ground and connecting. Um, and I think we've been taught that we, that you move through the world parallel to people and that that is how you bond when there's just so much to learn from breaking out of that, I think. So yeah, I think that is my kind of more theoretical answer. And then on the practical side, I think I've met people by trying things that scare me or um, picking up a new hobby or doing something together. As you said, Joyce, it's a really valuable way to connect, I think. And and. I have two thoughts from from what you just said, Juliet, of first um, the thought around a mentorship, which I think traditionally it's always the older person who is like supposed to be giving the wisdom to the younger person as though, yes, Joyce is is like shaking um, your head. Um, But like that to me is is also uh, BS that that there's so much to share a mentorship should be non-hierarchical. It should be an equal setting that both people have things to learn from each other. Um, and I think you both have, have demonstrated that so much of like sharing opinions, sharing conversation that there's just so much to learn from one another. And something else that you said, Julia, that made me think of in our last listener in residence um, like meeting where monthly we would all meet over Zoom and kind of update, uh, learn from each other, talk with each other. So it wasn't just our pairings, but one of the participants who I think was is our youngest participant said that like over Zoom, having these these monthly meetings was like the most amount of queer folks that they had ever experienced, which really was touching for me because again my assumption that uh younger folks than me 
are having queer experiences like earlier, like realizing that they are, are queer and also building that community earlier, but how that is not always the case too. Yeah, that just sparked in my mind. I can touch on this mentor in the past. Like I, I had a business mentor and it didn't work partially because we couldn't relate. Well, primarily because we couldn't relate to each other. The business models were totally different. The sector was different. And so it, it was a frustrating process for me because uh, I, I, I didn't feel like he, he felt any, he, he felt it, it, unavailable as well because he couldn't relate, right? So it was frustrating on both our parts. That's why I particularly like the way you, you set this up, right? It was it was still funny for me when Julia was talking about how she went to a reskilling class and learned how to make corn tortillas from scratch. I'm sort of thinking, you know, here I am. I'm old enough. I was part of that whole generation where, you know, there was this idea that there was enough labor, enough skilled labor. Mm. And so we just stopped funding it. Mm. Right. So now at this end of, of my life where people my age and younger are retiring from those skilled programs, now there's this huge gap. I think the other thing, too, is that we tend to think in little blocks, right? There, you know, there is this natural beginning, middle and end that really from a lifespan approach, we don't think like that. You know, we think there's youth and that has this certain age group. And then there's kind of this big block of your productive years. And then there's this gradual decline. But there are so many nuances. And nowadays, too, like, I mean, even my generation, I didn't do the same thing my entire career. I know people who did, but I didn't. And so, you know, there there was, you know, like this very linear model of life that is thin and flat and doesn't really kind of reflect in any reality the richness of lives that people live, whether that's, you know, it doesn't matter what the parameters are on it, right? You know, it's kind of like this desire, we all have a desire for a full life. And so I think we we do ourselves we, because we don't see that intergenerationally and with particularly the decline of kind of having that extended family idea, kind of, you know, a micro community that you can develop different relationships with and go to different people and, and talk to each other about how they got through this or that or, you know, that might be a mythical version of family these days, but... You know, there isn't that kind of built in support anymore. So back to your the question or the comment you made about the young person and having that queer surrounding, right? Luckily, I kind of fell into it. Uh, when I was coming up there, the bar was the place to go. But, you know, like I also came up thinking, well, everybody was just like me. Well, that wasn't true either. So, so it was kind of how do we create possibilities for uh, those of us at any stage of life, right? One of the fears that is there within my age group is ending up in a care situation where 
you know, they might have a policy at the institutional level, but your neighbor, <laughs> you know, doesn't have any background and has very strong judgments and opinions at, at our age and stage tend to come out unfiltered. People are comp- complex, right? We live complex lives. So, you know, our, our opportunities need to reflect that. And while the beauty of all of the online stuff that is available now is, you know, is wonderful. At the same time, we're 3D human beings and it's different to have an in-person conversation than it is to have one online. Joyce, are you saying that the bare bones expectations of capitalism don't accurately reflect the nuances (laughs) and richness of being alive? (laughs) I'm shocked. (laughs) Actually, you're not. I were a good pair. I ramble and she makes it a this succinct part. <laughs> um, speaking of capitalism and <laughs> what is expected of us. So so this program, this listener and residence program is is not a traditional art gallery project. It, it isn't a lot of projects that I curate, I get questions from uh, individuals saying, why is this art? This is an ongoing part of my curatorial process of always being questioned and always having many answers, but not everyone, of course, agrees. What do you think are the values of having kind of this more non-traditional, because many people think of art galleries, they think we're going to paint landscapes, we're going to sculpt figures, and that's kind of in general you know, there's different perceptions of art, but I think that's a generic one that is shared uh, by by a lot of the public. So what kind of values do you think in having these kind of non-traditional art programs? I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is this idea of process versus product and mm-hmm. how we've been taught, I think, in by kind of the institution taking over our creative minds Mm. that a final product is necessary and is the art piece when I actually think that that couldn't be farther from the truth like I think that the creative process is what makes something creative and so you know kind of returning back to the beginning of our conversation about how like building a relationship became a creative process for Joyce and me I think that speaks to the limits of seeing art as something that is on a page and is decontextualized and isn't in the world and isn't in community and isn't just an everyday part of being alive. And I guess the other thing that comes to mind is the archive and like this construct that we have of the archive and like what we get to save and what we think is worthy of documenting. I don't think that that is apolitical. And obviously, I mean, that that's a much longer conversation that you know, I think folks and a lot of queer folks are, are having within art gallery spaces because, you know, historically art galleries haven't been affirming of subversive ways of creating. And, um, you know, I think that that is what art is all about. And so part of that is breaking up, you know, how can the process become archive and like, how can a relationship become a 
piece of art, you know? And I think those are questions that are worthy of being on the table, even if they sound silly. And they're also, I think, caught up in like returning to the experience of queerness and like what that can offer. Yeah. I was reminded as you were speaking, Juliet, that, you know, it's just like binary code, right? You know, like we see the world in black and white. It's ones or zeros. You know, well, we know that isn't true about gender. So why would it be true about anything else? Right. And, uh, you know, and in my meditation tradition, we view life as sacred, and that art, like life, is part of everyday life, right? You know, it's just part of. And that you can be artistic around your space. You can be artistic around your dress. There's nothing there. We think it's kind of like art, not art. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I think, that sort of binary approach to it is just not operational. Now, see, you got me on this bandwagon again. Now it's about classism, right? Because who goes to art galleries, right? Who owns art, right? Those kinds of things, you know? So I think there's this, we create these little boxes that make me better than you, right? You know, that all of it are reflections. We're looking for these reflections of, you know, am I okay? Who am I, right? You know, that when really every every single being has expression, you know? So that's that's part of the reason why I like mostly artistic endeavors that are transient, right? You know, or more improvisational because it's really kind of, of who am I now? What am I expressing now? When I put something out there, how does somebody else who has a completely different life uh, respond to that? Uh, how does it affect me when I hear how their uh, their response to it? It's, it's a form of communication, very creative form of communication that we we have the possibility to keep creating. So I think when we think about the values that that expresses is it's life affirming. You know, it's it's kind of that value of diversity. If we come back to the topic of our, you know, queer community, it's kind of like, you know, there's kind of those levels that take us from acceptance, from, you know, discrimination to acceptance, right? And, you know, and it's along that spectrum. And uh, my firm value is that diversity creates richness if if we have this idea that we're still learning in this world and now we need to learn how to save the world. And what does that mean about our behavior and what we choose to do? There's just so many things out there. If I think of all the books that I've read in my lifetime, that would be a significant number of books, but it would be a drop in the bucket compared to how many books actually exist, you know, and that's only one form. So um, I'll get off my soapbox. (laughs) And I feel like you both beautifully expressed how much like the importance of bringing a queer theory or or a queer lens into institutions, be it art galleries or be it other institutions, because, you know, it's it's hard to express outside of a queer community, um, but like that, Joyce, you're, you're, you touched on like the, like, transient nature which I feel like 
as often a queer experience of of transient in identity, transient in in sometimes community, and even the archives, Juliet, that you were talking about of like just as as we did like a taxonomy system within plants to like kind of colonialize these like colonial colonized nature itself we have kind of done through archives uh, in, in museums of of like needing to have exact numbers with everything and often collecting what was thought to be as important which isn't necessarily a, a representation of what there is uh, in this world of art. And I think you've already maybe both touched on this, but I'll see if there's any other answers. But what kind of changes would you want to see within art galleries? I mean, I, I really appreciate you bringing up the colonial nature of hierarchies, because that was the first thing that came to mind as well when I saw this question was just the need for a real critical inquiry into decolonization, not in like necessarily a just a reconciliatory nature but also like a critical inquiry into like how our knowledge systems are reflective of like worldviews that are harmful to anything that isn't like enlightenment <laughs> discourse and like normie nor the normification of everything, you know, like, yeah, like hierarchy, I think is an example of that, that I think is something that isn't necessarily always like critically unpacked as like a colonial construct, but that I think is, and like, even an idea of like mastery and mm -hmm. skill um, comes to mind as well as something that needs, I think a lot of unpacking, like within art galleries and in a greater society and I think just like on a personal level, like I am someone who has experienced kind of imposter syndrome about my like place in the world as an artistic and creative person and listeners and residents kind of gave me the opportunity to really work on my confidence, I think, as like someone who has something to offer and like can bring something to the table in community and I think that that came from Reagan you and Kara offering like intentionally not making it a hierarchical space and also intentionally leaving it so open-ended that I felt like the things that I was bringing to the table were valuable and I didn't have to question or compare and that was huge for me because I think that we're brought up to constantly be questioning ourselves and comparing what we create to other people's work. And I think that that has no place in queer community and has no place in life, you know? Like, <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess that was both an expansive and specific response that came up for me. Yeah, I think um, the idea that we have to earn our right to be here you know, I think that's the idea that really needs to be challenged because we we all do. We all have that in, you know, inherent right. You know, our experiences shape us and and so they shape our perspective. And the wonderful thing about having 
neuroplasticity and minds that can learn is that we can change our expected, you know, our expectations and change our experiences and change our choices about how we participate in the world and how we develop. I know one of the things that I have seen some organizations do is kind of really focus on setting up these intergenerational conversations. And it just reminded me that you got so many youth who applied for listers and residents. You know, I mean, I think that because of the isolation, not just because of the pandemic or because we're queer and we can't have a hard time finding each other or, you know, but I just think that that really, you know, the developed world is kind of well practiced at generating isolation from each other. <laughs> and, um, you know, this idea of always comparing ourselves like that's so non counterproductive. And um, I mean, you know, with an idea of learning, but doing it with a loving lens, like most of it, I don't know about you, but I have a giant inner critic. And, you know, and I think that's a that's a cultural thing. And so when people who are not gender normative have really experienced that kind of isolation in a particular way, because somehow who we are is just not okay. And, you know, while, while that might be changing, I still think we have a long way to go. I mean, you know, yes, maybe in Canada, we have lots of freedoms, but, you know, um, that's not true around the world. And, um, and, you know, I myself would welcome more conversation with people who are different than I am, whether it's race, culture, belief system, you know, um, how they view family, how they view community, I, you know, how they do living and dying. I don't, you know, like really there's so many topics that we could learn from each other. And, and also, you know, there, there are buried within us, you know, lots of skills that the heteronormative kind of majority kind of sees as lost when I think really they're just kind of buried a bit somewhere. Yeah, I think there's lots of possibilities for how art galleries can really engage community differently, you know, even to kind of look at things that they do have within their collections and sort of say, you know, how did this get to be here? Joyce, you made me think of this book. It's called The a queer art to failure which is a very good book it's all about um how it's uh in queer culture's nature to fail and how great that failure is because it's like success is actually a, a heteronormative thing that queer folks are trying to get to but really like no you, you need to like create your own success by failing the heteronormative system. Um, and I feel like you both spoke to that of like art galleries of instead of like going with what has been tradition and that like thought of success, maybe finding a new way, uh, creating new systems. That was the end of our beautiful conversation. Does anyone have any final thoughts? Um, just wanted to express my gratitude for the opportunity to explore these questions for this period of time. Um, I think it's just added more than I could hope for to my life. Um, and I guess that speaks to the care with which um, you, Reagan, uh, went about facilitating so 
Thank you. Yeah, I would echo that. Like, uh, I'm not a big fan of too much structure. So I, uh, I really appreciated the openness of sort of the suggestions around the curriculum that we could find our own way. There was just enough kind of frame to make it clear and at the same time leave lots of possibility for discovery and also to the art gallery itself for really continuing to um, apply for innovative projects that help be, you know, in that process of change. The change process that I have used in the last kind of 15 years um, is called Theory U. And one of the stages of it is prototyping. And Otto Schirmer, who's the designer of this process, says, fail early, fail often. Mm. So, you know, um, it's it's kind of how we learn and how we figure out what works, because particularly in Western cultures, we spend so much time planning and organizing and directing and doing all of these things that actually almost that for the most part prevent a creative outcome, whatever that is. You know, whether that's a, you know, a, an increase, an enhancement in the sense of belonging in an organization, right? You know, which is probably pretty fundamental to most of us. And thank you, Regan, having us share this with you. And thank you for conceptualizing the program. And thank you. Yet. I look forward to seeing you soon. <laughs> Juliet, Joyce, thank you so much for joining me. For those who would like to learn more about my personal curatorial projects, you can head over to my website, reaganschram.com. And for more info about the AGGV's Listener in Residency program, please visit aggv.ca.